Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am really glad that you are here. You are the reason that I'm here. (laughs) And if you have heard something on our broadcasts uh, that has stuck with you or that you'd like to know more about, please know that our email inbox is open to you. Just uh, send a confidential message to kim at cradlemyheart.org. And if, when you go to cradlemyheart.org, you'll also find a phone number where you can send a confidential text or leave a confidential voicemail or simply call us. We would love to hear from you. I would love to have you get in touch with us and answer your questions, uh, maybe hear how our outreach has had an impact in your ministry. Thank you so much for being a part of this program. Today I'm going to share with you some thoughts from my book, Cradle My Heart, Finding God's Love After Abortion. Because as I continue to speak out on the truth of abortion, I find that there is a central issue that keeps women from coming forward. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, because our broadcast targets pastors and church leaders, I think it's important that you understand there's a group out there called Support After Abortion, which is seeking to build capacity for abortion care providers, abortion aftercare, abortion recovery providers, whether it would be mental health professionals or ministries or Bible study support groups through pregnancy help organizations. They are bringing together all of the various resources that people can, women and men, can access to find true healing after abortion, because healing is needed after abortion. And they recently entered into some consumer research, which you can learn about at Support After Abortion, their website, which we'll link at our our, uh, show page here on Faith Talk 1360. And what they found, they asked women, would you go to a pastor, your pastor, for help after abortion? Can I tell you that the percentage of women who said yes was zero? Now, there might be many reasons why this is so, but I believe one of the primary reasons is because most women have never heard their pastor utter the word abortion. They've never heard the invitation to healing from the pulpit or in any other setting in their church, maybe not even in the women's groups or the women's ministry. And if that's the case with you, uh, I want you to listen and and take in some of the insights that God has given me to share with you about what women experience in the aftermath of abortion and how you may be uniquely poised to be an instrument of deliverance, healing, freedom, all of the things that God calls us to minister to those who are hurting. 
after abortion, women know that part of you is gone, and you're just not the same. You know something has been lost. You may feel like less of a person somehow, but you do not want others to know. An unnamed shame takes over. You want to withdraw, either to nurse the hurt to your wounded dignity or to avoid detection by those whose dignity appears intact. The hard truth is we cannot diminish the worth and personhood of a child before birth without diminishing the worth of our own womanhood, too. And so, like me, many young women have followed the feminist crowd, believing abortion would add to your value in the workplace as a woman unhindered by the responsibility of raising a child. When I say, like me, I didn't swallow that whole, but it, they created a fear in me that having a child would hinder my ability to live a good life and a worthwhile life. And so I did follow that crowd. You know, reproductive freedom was supposed to elevate the role of women in society to equal status with men who can choose to remain unencumbered by unwanted pregnancy or parenthood. Not completely, of course. I mean, our government will compel men to pay for children that they don't wish to parent. Uh, but they have the ability to walk away physically that women just don't have. You may also have been stripped of your ability to protect your growing child if you were coerced into abortion, as so many women are. You know, partners, parents may threaten to abandon or expose women to public shame. But whether by choice or by coercion, abortion always demeans our value as women, our identity as the vessel for God's creation of each new life. A woman's worth isn't solely defined by childbearing, of course, but what sets us apart as women is our capacity to bear children. And abortion strips us of the dignity of our unique role in producing human life. And wherever dignity departs, shame resides. Withdrawing does not heal the hurts. Imagine a woman living in the shadow of an unnamed shame based not on abortion nor any sin, but rooted in a physical affliction beyond her control. This woman's desire to restore her body's dignity drove her to such desperation that she eventually came out of her seclusion and publicly reached out from a crowd to seek help. For one woman, reaching out brought healing, new life, and a new identity. Her demonstration of faith, of reaching for healing to begin with, is what moved her healer to make a demonstration of his own, of how much he loved her and what power he possessed to heal her and bring wholeness and dignity to both body and soul. And of course, we're talking about the story, God's story of the bleeding woman, or as she's referred to in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, as a sick woman. And we find her story when Jesus is crossing over the boat to the other side of the lake, it says a large crowd had gathered around him while he was by the lake, and one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now picking up Mark 5 at verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, 
I know I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around, and he asked the crowd, Who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, You see the people crowding against you. They answered, And and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There are so many things that I want to say about this story. It's very tempting to make side notes and to stop and give you thoughts, but I wanted you to hear it as written in God's Word because it's so powerful. It's such a powerful story, even if we don't catch all the nuances as we read it uh, read it through. I mean, I want you to notice that there was a, a huge crowd pressing in around him, and he's on a mission of healing right? He's on a mission of healing someone who is powerful and has requested his help. And she's there. She's been on the prayer list. She's been on that prayer chain for 12 years, right? Everybody who's been praying these prayers, I don't know what they're thinking. But in addition to suffering for these 12 years, she's been isolated. A woman subject to bleeding could not be out in public as she was. And should she touch anyone, they would become unclean. And it was, a, it was on her to protect others from her uncleanness, right? But uh, there she was. And we learned that she had she'd done everything in her power. And she was spent. But she got better. Instead of getting better, she got worse. But she'd heard about Jesus. I wonder what she had heard about Jesus and who had told her about him. She heard something so compelling that she risked the penalty for going out unclean. She came up behind him in this huge crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, just a touch and I will be healed. And it happened. And when Jesus said, who touched my clothes, uh, he was giving her the chance, what? To publicly declare that her shame was gone and that he had imputed cleanness and righteousness to her. And then this beautiful golden key for her, he calls her his daughter. This woman's story is also in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. And each time, each gospel writer tells us he calls her daughter. And he tells her, as he told so many, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering, he says to her, my daughter. Oh, my goodness, this story is so encouraging to those of us who have been touched by shame. You know, what would you give if all the shame and worthlessness felt after abortion could be relieved with just a touch? I ask those of you listening who've been subject to this. And I want to assure you, if you have been, that it can be relieved uh, by reaching out for the heart of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the healer who demonstrates his love for us as a loving father cares for his own child. We only have to reach out to receive that gift. Just as Jesus knew, despite the crowd of people pressing in on him, that she desperately needed his life-changing power, he knows exactly what every person affected by 
abortion needs. There is a world clamoring for help and healing, but the specific needs of each individual, their hurts, are on Jesus' heart. John says in his gospel this way, or in uh, 1 John, what, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our hope purifies us from our uncleanness, it says in 1 John 3, 1 and verse 3. So if we believe Jesus is fully God and that he still has the power to heal, that faith changes us in God's eyes and his purity becomes ours. And our purity then makes us his own child. This is the basis for our hope of spiritual healing, the removal of shame and feelings of worthlessness after abortion. And again, if you are a pastor or a church leader and you have this incredible gift to give to the women and men impacted by abortion who are sitting in your pews week in and week out, I pray that you will find a way to communicate this gift to them, to make that offer. And you know, as we heard with Josh Brom, and if you didn't hear that broadcast, I urge you to go to our website and and find it because Josh, Josh has such a heart and such an ability and such a skill in working with pastors. And he said, you know, you don't have to necessarily make it a, you know, the sermon doesn't have to be titled Lifting the Shame of Abortion, right? Because that that is so specific. It doesn't apply to probably two-thirds of your congregation, although it might apply to as many as one-third. But as Josh says, just include abortion in that list of shameful sins. When you talk about adultery, when you talk about addiction, when you talk about pornography, I hope you're talking about all those things and the beauty of the gospel to redeem us and make us new, even in the light of these shameful things that can entrap us. Um, Just add abortion to the list. You know, just tuck it in there somewhere so that the person who needs to hear that this message is for them as well can hear that from you. I'm so struck by the truth of the dramatic change in the life of the bleeding woman who had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This is such an apt description for those of us who have also sought to relieve our wounded dignity after abortion. We've sought help, and sometimes we've put way too much faith in all the deficient sources for complete healing. Many of us have turned to the medical community and counselors to help our bleeding spirits, but instead we found ourselves getting worse, suffering under the care of doctors. Certainly, I would say there are, of course, legitimate uses for psychiatry and psychology for mental and emotional problems. A skilled practitioner can teach good mental hygiene, pointing out flawed thinking, suggesting ways to keep your thought life healthy, addressing trauma through various means, but You know, when it comes to seeking counseling for depression and other emotional problems which follow because of abortion through the medical community, help can be very hard to find. The Centers for Disease Control, for example, warn of the dangers of postpartum depression after child loss, uh, and yet child loss after abortion is not addressed in this CDC resource. The American Psychological Association has gone on public record with their research findings, which effectively dismiss a need for mental health, 
mental health help after abortion. And again, if you go to cradlemyheart.org and seek out the interviews we did with Dr. Teresa Burke, you will find that there is a great need for help and healing, and there is great hope with informed practitioners. But, you know, for these reasons, these, these official doctrines of our medical community, many mental health professionals may remain unaware of the spiritual challenges that so many face after abortion, and even the most sensitive and skillful mental health care counselor cannot help heal a spiritual wound unless, of course, they're called to do so by the Lord and empowered to do so in His power. Only God's truth can restore the bleeding heart and mind and soul. You know, and I personally discovered this spiritual gap, if you will, when a few years after my abortion, on the advice of a friend, I sought counseling from a credentialed professional counselor. And um, my friend saw how I struggled with prolonged sadness over the abortion, and it resurfaced with each new emotional challenge in my life, not necessarily even related to pregnancy or childbearing or anything like that. I was just unable to resolve the pain of a divorce in my family. Uh, I went through strained romantic relationships, always battling feelings of low self-worth. And it didn't take long for this practitioner that I went to see to discern My problem was more than just managing emotions. What I needed to deal with was spiritual. And at the root of my shame and feelings of worthlessness, I felt so far from God, alienated. And I feared I was going to hell for what I had done when I chose abortion. You know, I had an incomplete discipleship. I had a great deal of ignorance about heaven and hell and damnation and salvation. But I told her, that my concerns were based on my understanding of the teachings of my childhood Christian faith. You know, and instead of suggesting I connect with the church or a source related to my faith to find out if my fears were valid or if there was a remedy within my faith, no. She shared her belief in a watered-down version of eternity as infinite space. She encouraged me to believe that each of us, including my unborn child, has the power over our own life and death. She didn't bother to explain if this idea was rooted in another religion or her personal opinion. She simply stated, we each choose our own parents and determine when we will come into being. And she added that my child had exercised personal power in choosing not to be born, returning to the cosmos to be born at a different, more beneficial time. You know, even with my scant knowledge of God's promises and truth at that time, I was shocked. A cosmic baby calling the shots? We can control how to be born and when and how to die? Not only was this unbiblical, but it struck me also as just nonsensical. Yet, in desperation for relief, I continued to see this counselor. And at one point, I even allowed her to place her hands on my abdomen as she spoke an incantation about light and the child's spirit. That ungodly counseling experience was deeply unsatisfying and unhelpful. Like what else ensued, because she advised me to state to myself positive affirmations of my self-worth, rehearse my childhood hurts, fix my mind on cosmic imagery, which totally sidestepped, all of it sidestepped my real need. This blend of New Age mysticism, wishful thinking, and what was called healing touch reflected a spiritually a spirituality that is based on a false faith in things that cannot save and heal us. 
and were as prescriptive as a band-aid for the deep wounds of shame and guilt. And that false faith could never fully address the wounds and answer the questions that lay at the root of my spiritual struggle after abortion. I mean, which in a nutshell was, did my actions mean I was going to hell for having participated in taking a life? How could I celebrate the idea of a child in heaven if I had forever forfeited my right to go there? Longing to know the truth about the hope of heaven and the reality of hell are universal needs. My friends who are Christian leaders, especially after an abortion, brings you face to face with these questions. God, after all, has set eternity in our hearts as the Word tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, we need truth we can rely on when it comes to matters so infinitely great and so personally significant. So as I continue to wrestle with these questions, I spent more money, more time on other counselors who tried to help but didn't go as far as the bogus healer who tried to break abortion's grip by speaking wishful words over my abdomen. These other practitioners listened as I confessed having an abortion and also shared new grief over the breakdown of my first marriage, the death of other family members, still, they never addressed the root issue of all my grief, the abortion, that was at the root of my deeper distress with each new loss and trouble. These counselors also did not try to guide me into God's truth or help me to find the spiritual help I needed. And, you know, I'm not dismissing the merits of counseling. It's possible to find a caring mental health professional who understands abortion as a spiritual crisis and who can direct you to the help you need from the church and other believers. We have a resource page at cradlemyheart.org that may get you started on that path. Having someone simply listen to your struggles and affirm sad feelings can also be helpful, for example. But without God's truth... Even the best talk therapy is not healing. There is a big difference between help and healing. And broken hearts need God's healing touch. It's healing that will remove our guilt, bring us our peace with God, and resolve the confusing grief over failing to prevent the death of a child. When I came to my saving faith in Jesus Christ, I renounced having sought that doctor, that mental health professional. And I pray for her salvation. And I no longer, of course, place my faith in doctors, which many times, yes, can make us worse, can bankrupt us, and can make our condition worse. Because they have no means to prepare a a proper diagnosis of what the trouble really is. Now, false help is all there, all out there also, of course, uh, in media, TV, pop culture, Abortion is horrible, dark, and ugly. That's the truth. Children die. Women are hobbled spiritually as their God-given identity as mothers is denied. Men are stripped of their masculine dignity as fathers, protectors, and providers. But boy, in the media, and the popular press, you won't find those truths or any real relief for the troubling spiritual questions that abortion raises as we search in the books, the movies, the magazines, radio, television, social media, the Internet. You know, and as I think about, for example, the protests outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices following the Do- or leading up to and following the Dobbs decision and our media portrayal of what those protests were about, did you in any case see any media outlet bring in someone to say, 
abortion's impact has been documented, especially among people of faith. And we would like to have this expert address the fact that abortion may not be beneficial and may, in fact, be very detrimental to the lives of the women and men who participate in it. Did you hear any messaging in that direction? And I laughed because, of course, you didn't. Of course you didn't. The media has made their decision. Our popular press, our culture, has made its decision about the net good of abortion. And you and I, Christian, you and I, pastor, Christian leader, are uniquely positioned to refute that and to stand as ones who can impart the purity of God's love to those who have been trapped and who have been ensnared in the lies of abortion and the losses that follow. And I pray that you would educate yourself and that you would find the courage to speak the truth wherever God has placed you because there are so many who need to know. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.